gossip. Mm. Now, this is his theory. He says, I think when we feel bad about ourselves, we say bad things about other people. Ooh. Does gossip involve listening to bad things about other people? Because I will do that all day. <laughs> this is Matt Russell. This is Pod at Mercy. The biggest news story was uh, what happened over the weekend where at a concert here in Houston uh, with a guy named Travis Scott. He's like, I would say one of Houston's biggest um, musicians well-known musician. I thought it was Beyonce. She's up there too, but I think Travis Scott might have a clip. Or Megan Thee Stallion. <laughs> yeah, I think Travis is, awesome? is third. You think he's third? He's third. Dang. Okay. Am I right though? You're right. Megan, you were like, Beyonce, you're like, oh, you like surprised that I, like, I I'm know. so hip like that. Right? John, yeah. no one was up. <laughs> I'm talking about. He said Megan Thee Stallion. The Stallion. I even had it, Megan. I said, Megan Stallion? <laughs> <laughs> like an old guy. <laughs> Megan these days. <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but this this is tragic. I mean, um, not a concert I would go to, but I my daughter went in when she was in high school to concerts with her friends, and I I, I mean I don't understand how it happens, but you've got fourteen, sixteen, twenty one, two twenty one year olds, two twenty three year olds. And it's just tragic. I mean, we pray for the, the families. I know there's a lot of news about investigation and what happened, and mm-hmm. there's all sorts of rumors around town about people sticking people and injecting drugs and security guards. I don't know anything about any of that, but I just know it's tragic, and I don't know how that happens. Right. Because I, I think of, like, old old people concert like jimmy <laughs> buffett where you have a seat right and you it's different yeah yeah well i mean you guys are you, you you know jeff and zach i mean you guys are the young dudes yeah I, I go to i go to concerts all the time it's like one of my favorite things to do i actually went to a concert the weekend before this happened and so to see this happen at a similar thing that i went to is surreal and i think it's super tragic, right? And like, I think like for the people in the living, for the people who have to cope with that, it's so unfortunate that we can't give space for the families just to grieve. And everyone on social media just jumped to place blame on whoever. And just to know that like, something like this doesn't happen with one single point of failure. Something like this happened because there's multiple points of failure that got avoided. And so there's no one person, no one entity to place, place blame on this. It's just a tragedy. You That's know, not the just, way society works anymore, though. Yeah. You know, you have to find who's to blame. And, you know, life has lost its complexity. And I think you're right. I think a lot of things can break down. But, you know, they want to blame him because he tweeted people to come and whatever rage. Yeah. Or they blame the event venue or they blame the police department or they blame... You know, there always has to be blame rather than, you know, let's let it play out and figure out. Like you said, there's, a lot, of, there's a lot of different things that went wrong for that to happen. Had Absolutely. To be. Absolutely. It's just tragic and it's sad. And there, there was a, a one of the young boys was in a high school, like right around the corner from here. A lot of our kids know him in the family. And so there have been some vigils at the local high school 
some support reaching out to these families because it's not just that family and that child, which is tragic for them, but it's that kid had friends and those parents have friends and you just, you don't imagine. I remember, have you ever lost anyone young in your life, a, fr- a very close person? I did. I did. I lost uh, my friend Marquis. Um, and he, his life ended with a freak accident as well, right? Him and some friends went to Galveston and they were just hanging out, having a good time partying. It was a big, big razor, bonfire party on the beach. Um, before he left, he asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, nah, I'm a, I'm a hang out at home this weekend. And I was going to visit my mom. I, I was living by myself for the first time. I'd been on my own for about almost a year at that point. And Marquis actually was living with me because he was in between places to live. Um, that's how close we were. Hmm. And I was going to visit my mom and I got a phone call from a mutual friend. And he goes, have you seen Marquis? I was like, he went to Galveston to the beach. He's like, yeah, I'm out here, but we can't find him. And I'm like, my head just goes blank at that point. I like pull over the car at that point because I'm like, how could this happen? And so that weekend was so surreal because we didn't find out that was a Friday night and we didn't find out until Sunday morning that his body washed up onto the shore. Oh man. And so it was, it was a real tragedy and yeah, that affects so many people. Like I'm just a friend mm-hmm. of him. I can only imagine how his siblings and what his parents went through. Yeah. You know, well, just think about when you're young and that happens in your life. I think it's real different than when you're my age and you get older and things start to happen because you don't expect someone young to die, especially in, in a tragic accident like that. So our prayers go out to that, the families and all those that are impacted. And, um, and I hope and pray people can spend more time praying for them than Absolutely. casting blame. But, Absolutely. you know, Twitter's just... It's just a dumpster yeah. fire. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I'm on Twitter and I scroll through it and I post things, but oh my gosh. So I've kind of gone through a little epiphany recently. Hmm. Um, pandemic past 20 months, not only the, the pandemic, but just, I would say if you are a leader leading an organization or a group of people or anything that intersects with society, you are dealing with a lot of difficulty because everybody's unhappy about everything. So think of just living in Twitter in real time. (laughs) You know, I mean, people are unhappy about the way you handle the pandemic. They're unhappy about the way you handle racial issues. They're unhappy about the way you handle politics. They're unhappy about the way you handle vaccines. They're unhappy about everything, everything, everything. And it all comes to that leader. It does. So I think about people who are leading our schools. You know, we've had that too with our school directors, or I think about principals or superintendents. Now there's a big, that's a big uh, inflection point, crisis point. And I think about those leaders that are, that are dealing with that. What hit me though is I have allowed, um, I have allowed the discouraging stuff to have way more energy and power and space in my life than the encouraging things, because there are good things. So two weeks ago, I preached on the Shema, and I talk about how at our house, we have two nail holes Mm -hmm. in the door because the family that owned that home before us, they were Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so they had the Shema up, which is a, it's a a metal little box that holds the little scroll piece of paper with the Shema written on it in Hebrew. 
And I said, well, every time I go to Israel or whenever I think about it, I, I wanna get one and put it back up. I just keep forgetting about it, I never did. <laughs> I, I came in this morning and on my desk from a members of the church, they had they bought me one. Wow. Yeah. That's really sweet. And alongside of it was a note from a lady who was here for All Saints Sunday and said, thank you so much for the service that Chapwood provided and how meaningful it was. I get this stuff. I get things like that a lot. But man, they just don't. I just don't let them take up the space they deserve. Yeah, It's the one bad or two mm -hmm. bad interactions this week where someone's mad at me about ABCD. A lot of times I've found lately, a lot of the things they're mad at me or the church about are not, are there assumptions that they've made that they've not tested uh, or things that are not really true. Yeah, yeah. But that they think they is true. They can fall apart real quick if you yeah. interrogate it. So I just made a decision that, um, that I was gonna start taking care, better care of myself. Um, and I read this great article that I found online. Kerry Neuf does a, a blog for leaders in the church. And he talks about, you know, you have these paths in life. You have a conscious choice or subconscious choice. You mm. have a healthy or unhealthy choice. You have life and then you have paths that don't lead to life. But the one that he was talking about was, especially for leaders in the church, but I would say this goes to anybody in any aspect of life, is you have a choice between self-care or self-medication. Hmm. Okay. Now, this past year, actually, for the first time in my life, I started meeting with what I would define as a therapist. Okay. And a spiritual director. I've always wanted, actually, when I first moved to Houston, I had a pastoral counselor I would meet with, but I decided I needed to meet with someone just for my own mental health okay. and well-being. There's no magic to it. It's not like you meet with them all of a sudden all your problems go away no. and you're great. But it is a process where you are in a confidential safe space and you're able to talk with someone and share some things that maybe you wouldn't share with most people or maybe anyone. Mm. And you got someone who really knows a lot about stuff people have been through if they're good and they can sort of redirect back to you and help you think, you know, why is it that you feel this anger? Where's it coming from? Yeah. You know, I remember one of the first ones is like, I'm angry all the time, <laughs> angry. And even the way I said it, I mean, he didn't do anything to me. I'm just like, I'm always angry. <laughs> he's like, like the incredible Hulk, you know, he's like, you need to get angry. He goes, that's my, that's the problem. You don't understand. I'm always angry. <laughs> but I mean, I felt like that. I'm just angry. I'm angry at people. I'm angry at church members. I'm angry at family. I mean, I'm angry at my wife for nothing. Right. And I remember when we first met, I was like, I'm just angry. And what he did is something that I guess I should have thought about, but I didn't. He goes, well, let's talk about this. He said, anger and fear cannot exist in the same space. Hmm. And he said, if you're the kind of person who does not allow yourself to be afraid, then you manifest that in anger. Hmm. So he said, John, what are you afraid of? And I said, can we talk about what other people are afraid of? <laughs> but we started, and I'm not going to go into all that right now here, because that's why I pay him money. <laughs> I'm going to listen to. But, <laughs> it, but that, that turn, if nothing else, like I can just honestly tell you in that moment, I wasn't ready to articulate maybe everything I was afraid of. Sure. But man, it got me thinking differently Yeah. about where my anger comes from about the fear and the grief involved. Now you mentioned to me when we were talking about, you had a friend that asked you, because you're a poet and a creative to work or to think about something around mental health. You had a friend, yeah, you wanna yeah, talk yeah. about that? 
Um, yeah, sure. I can talk about that. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but this is a podcast <laughs> and you are here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about this in tandem to what you just said. Yes. However you want to talk about it. All right. not, but I, I think you wrote a poem about it. I, I wrote a poem about, about something regarding that. Yeah. And we could definitely get into that. But I, I just had dinner with a friend yesterday and she said something really incredible that I just like said, wow, too, because she is just coming back to Houston from a month long trip in Europe. She just went around Europe to these different cities. She's been to Barcelona. She went to Greece. She went to uh, Italy. She went to um, Germany and Spain. And uh, she has a friend that lives in, in Barcelona in Spain. And she didn't have a friend in any of those other places. So mm-hmm. she was kind of sticking that out on her own, really trying to figure it out. Doesn't know the primary languages there. Really tough experience to go through for a month. So in Spain, she got to like sort of take a break from that and be held by this family and friend that she knows. And she says that it felt really good to be taken care of. Hmm. And I was just like, it took me aback because like as a man, um, I think a lot of the times we, don't want to feel like we need to be taken care of, right? And to be taken care of, it requires a lot of vulnerability to let someone aid you in that process of healing, to let your guard down, to share your thoughts with another person so they can give you the nourishment that you need. Um, That requires a lot. And so just to hear that, and I'm like, wow, I wonder if I was in that situation, if I would have been willing and able to let that family take care of me the way you allow them to take care of you mm-hmm. like i think that's really powerful and i think that's what like therapy does and and i think like, i just wish a lot of more people were in therapy because like it is that allowing someone to take care of you yeah you know, and there's a lot of um people that are they feel like there's an attack on masculinity see i don't see it as this is all at all in that way i don't feel like i'm losing my masculinity because I'm able to open myself up and be vulnerable and have someone help me work on stuff on the inside. Yeah. Um, I, I, so when people say, well, you know, you're just into all this new stuff that says, you know, you ought to emasculate all the men, all the masculinity out of society. I'm like, nope, I'm actually a big fan of masculinity <laughs> for me, right? Um, and, and so I think, you know, God has created men as men and there's a unique role in a in a place that we occupy in space mm-hmm. but man that cultural lie that somehow you can't be open and vulnerable about stuff that bothers you i mean we've seen i mean i think my grandfather or i've i've heard people say this generations where you never told your child you loved them yeah you, know, you never opened up anything right. yourself and i think now they 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 i don't i don't see it as a sign of weakness that i'm able to you know, talk about stuff going on in my life. And I'm probably not as far down the road as some people, but I think it's sure. a good thing. I think for all of us. Um, now, did you, did you say you had a, this is a the best segue into this, this poem now. Like, Great. Is, yeah. This is what I live to do is segue <laughs> for you and Matt. Um, so it goes into this, this poem is called embrace me. So it's really just talking about the idea of embracing another person, right? And I wrote this poem based because um, October is Mental Health Awareness Month, and a friend of mine who is a creative, yeah, she she has this uh this uh place in Florida where creatives come and it's like a haven for them, right? And she wanted me to write this poem 
um, talking about mental health, particularly how uh, it's stigmatized for men to have self-care and take care of themselves in these spaces. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do anything too on the nose, right? So I, I like to let people have these interpretations. But for me, this poem is really about a hug, right? And it, it's called Embrace Me. And this is how it goes. Embrace me. Embrace me the way society never encouraged. Embrace me the way our fathers refused to foster. Embrace me the way their fathers could not imagine. Embrace me with all the care you were not handled with. And through those shattered shards of glass, we can finally see eye to eye. Realize this fragile masculinity clouds the vision. Put haze in the heart. Makes mirage out of love and affection. Tells us toughness and tenderness are in tension, at odds, but really, they are fibers of the same muscle. This is the heart exercising itself. This is the body bringing us back to humanity. This is often the remedy to the pain we try to ignore. Too tough to talk about what hurts on the inside? Then let me inside of your arms. What a solid place to start. I wish for us to start enjoying this life because it is just as important as surviving this life. It is just as important as being present in the body and being present with all the people who care to love you back. If you care to love me back, embrace me with all the will you have to live. Embrace me with all the hate you have inside. Embrace me with every breath you have to breathe. Embrace me and let symbiosis take the lead. You did not come into this world alone. You did not come into this world to be alone. We do this together. So embrace me. Hmm. Is, I'm supposed to do that. Right? Snap, snap, snap. Snaps. <laughs> oh, awesome. It stood out to me, you know, bring my, bring your body to humanity or bring my body to humanity. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something to be said about you bring yourself, you bring yourself to this, and so many times we uh, we hide away so many parts of us. But um, yeah, man, the, the image of embracing people who disagree with you or um, don't don't think the same way or all of that. I think the disconnectedness in society is what's killing us. The pandemic, along with all of the other things, it was sort of a perfect cocktail. Yeah, it's all shaken up because yeah. what happens when you disconnect people from one another, um, then communication is taken away, which means trust is removed, yes. which means, you know, you get farther away and then it's all suspicion. It's like I said, I'm dealing with these people and they have all of these assumptions Yeah, that, that they tested. haven't tested. Yeah. And in organizational uh, leadership, they tell, they teach you how to always test assumptions, always ask questions. But now I get people coming up and they go, well, I heard, well, I heard y'all are doing this at the church. Well, I'm mad because this is going on at the church. I was like, that's not going on at the church. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said, we're just really upset. We're just really upset, you know, about the mask at church. I was like, okay. What? It's like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, the fact that you have to wear a mask at church. I was like, we haven't had a mask mandate since April. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, it's November. <laughs> And so this person's just been upset, yeah, and not on, tested on this, an assumption, yeah, not right? tested assumptions. So, I think that's a big part of it. But I, I hit a 
um, I think a wall finally, it wasn't like a breakdown, but it was this moment where I realized that I can't keep doing what I'm doing because it's just wearing on me. Right. I mean, I, I was feeling bad every day. I woke up with no energy. I'm snapping at my wife. I don't want to be around people. You know, it's at that point, it's like, I, it's like that old joke where the guy wakes up in the morning and he tells his wife, he goes, that, you know, I don't want to go to church. Everybody hates me. People give me dirty looks. They don't like anything. Every time I say, they always want to push me away to the side. And she goes, I, he says, I just don't want to go to church today. And she says, you have to, you're the preacher. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I've felt is like, is like that. But um, what he writes in this article, some of these fit me and some don't. Five ways that leaders self-medicate. Food. I have found that to be true. <laughs> Food. My pants are tight. My cl- I, I The pandemic, I have gone up and down. All right? Same. I did really good sometimes. Mm-hmm. But like lately when it got hard again, um, food was an outlet for me. So good. And I would say food coupled with... Video one games of, for me. One of these is shopping. Okay. Ooh. I did um, that too. But I, I will couple food with shopping and in the sense that I probably ate out way too much at too many nice restaurants and spent way too much money yeah. as an escape mechanism. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm going to go experience something that I don't normally experience. It's going to get me out of whatever. And I'm going to be in that. If you found food or for me, it's like the hours of 5 PM to 10 PM or 11 PM. It's like, it's confronting what you do whenever there's no more work in the day. And then you either have to sit mm-hmm. with the, the things that you're afraid of confronting or you, what I, I do the same thing where I'm like, Hey, where are we going tonight? Let's grab a drink. Let's grab what are we dinner. doing? What are we doing? Let's do something. Cause I don't want to sit at home and just sit with my, you know, my stuff. Yeah. And I will yeah. say one of one of the five is overwork. I will mm. say, I think I, there are people that I know that I'll talk to them and, and about the pandemic. And I was like, yeah, are y'all back in your office? And they'll say, I never left my office. Right. Mm. It's like a point of pride. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We never left our office. Right. And I'm thinking, well, okay, you must have been an essential worker because for a little while there we were supposed to stay home. That's okay. I'm like telling you. <laughs> right. But I would say the same thing, overwork. I would, busyness, mm. to find yourself occupied in things. Yeah. Like you said, if every if every night at five o'clock it's like, what do I do? What am I do? What am I do? Yeah. And you can't just be right. Is is a way of self medicating because you're you're just deflecting. Right. You know, you're distracting yourself. Gossip. Mm. Now this is his theory. He says, "I think when we feel bad about ourselves, we say bad things about other people." Ooh. Does gossip involve listening to bad things about other people? Because I will do that all day. <laughs> I can refrain from saying it from giving my input, but I think if you pass it on, you got to break the chain, man. You got to break. Yeah, the... I, yeah. I, I think uh, I would say gossip. I would also say. I use the term slander because mm. it shows up in the Bible. Gossip mm. shows up in the Bible. Slander, gossip is, you know, slander is like I say something about you that's not true. Mm. Man, if I could tell you how many Christians have said something about me over the past 20 months that is absolutely not true. Yeah. Mm. And I have to say, you know, as a pastor, I have to go, hey, you know, that's not true. You probably shouldn't say that instead of, sinner, 
That is slander. <laughs> Repent. Right. Or burn in hell. Right. Where does but that I, come from? Where is, where is the, the idea that, like, I have the confidence to say something that is not a fact to other people come so from? So I would say culturally that's where everyone is. So think about think about the confidence people have in whatever it is they think they know, whether mm-hmm. it's about whether masks work or don't, whether vaccines work mm-hmm. or don't, whether Trump is good or bad, whether Biden is good or bad, whether A, B, C, D, E, what critical race theory is taught in the schools or not taught in the schools. I mean, I, I have a hard, I mean, I don't even know what critical race theory is. I'm still trying to figure out, like, I don't understand. Everybody's lost their mind about it. I'm like, okay, I'm... I know it has something to do with like systemic racism and in institutions and organizations and stuff beyond like personal like racism, yeah. right? Yeah. I think that's kind of what it is, but I'm like. What's well, something that's not even taught in, in, it's a college course is what it is. It, yeah, but the point I'm making is, is yeah. like yeah. people create things and they have so much certainty. And I say this all the time that doubt is no longer the enemy of faith. Mm. Certainty is now the enemy of faith. Mm. So when, when you just make up your mind, it's like, well, I know this about my pastor, therefore I'm going to tell other people without asking, is this true? Or about my church or about whatever else. And I'm thinking, you you now are committing one of the sins on the list of sins that Paul has listed, you know, yeah. that, that, are, that are not to happen within the church. You're not supposed to gossip against each other, slander each other, you know, tear each other down. You're supposed to build each other up. Yeah. And But I think what this guy says here is... <clears throat> We do this because we feel bad about ourselves. Hmm. What's the old saying? He's like, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. <laughs> Misery loves company. There you go. Yeah. yeah, shopping I added, I think spending money. Um, I think there's probably a lot of that. For me, like it was, I think I've, I think I've seen some of that happening with me. Shopping has this way, some people are addicted to shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, that. I used to be an early adopter on something. <laughs> you're you're addicted to shopping. I, this year, I picked it up as a habit, and um, I'm trying to break that. He looks trying fly. To break he looks that. fly though. He'll come into the office with new coat on or something. I'm like, geez, man, yeah. what's going on here? I like nice things. <laughs> it's called it's that called I can't afford. It's <laughs> called retail therapy. Retail therapy. <laughs> yeah. And so what happens is, I think everybody does it. Um, you you're you're numbing pain or you're it's avoidance by accumulating things one of the things i've learned at least and i I don't know that i've conquered it but it's like oh you really want that car i really want this or really want that and it's really more than i need to spend but then Mm. i get it and i spend man it's only a day or two later i'm like i shouldn't have done that yep (laughs) yep buyer's remorse that's what it's called i i have those when i go to dinner you can't take your food back. Yeah, so. no, they won't. They frown on it. <laughs> they, frown. They, don't, they don't want it back. I didn't like this. I'll tell you, here's a great little lesson I've learned that works for me. It may not work for you, but whenever I think, you know, my car is 2014, you know, paid off. And sometimes I go, man, I'd really like one of those new cars would be good. And I used to be in, because I grew up in the car business, and I used to like to get a new car whenever I felt like the tires were exhausted right Ah. but now what i do is i take it to the detail shop and i say i want you to clean it clean it out Mm. clean it detail it q-tip swab it everything till it's just immaculate and then when i get it back i'm like this car is awesome (laughs) new car and i don't feel so i only spend like 
you know, $200 or something, and I don't have the buyer's remorse from now being committed to a car payment for a long period of time. I like that. Um, this one's substance abuse is five. And, you know, one of the things that I've found is I have, for me, to stop drinking during the week. Um, you know, I found that what pandemic did for, for me is your level of consumption of alcohol goes up too mm -hmm. much. Sure. And I don't think that when you're in bad headspace, I just don't think that helps. It's a numbing agent, you know, yeah. it's to get out. And it's some, yeah. for some people it's been other types of substance abuse, whether they're drugs. And I don't think it's just, it's not, to me, it's not just about addiction. It's just overuse yeah. or misuse or misplacement or a pattern where you're not turning to the right things for relief. Right. From, that's what it's been for me. Would you say earlier coping mechanism or coping yeah. agents? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, totally. It's exactly spot on. For me, if I don't that. drink, I, it, it takes me longer to fall asleep, mm. but I sleep better. Your right. heart rate's lower. Same, yeah. And then you wake up and you feel better. That was a big thing for me during the pandemic. I would sleep a lot, but I'd wake up and I'd feel horrible. Right. So that just, uh, you'll wind this down. Like, well, so what are the, the self-care things you have to do? Well, I think you gotta spend time with God every day in some way, shape, or form, whether mm. it's in prayer or scripture reading. Um, How do you personally do that? So I have uh, an app called the Daily Office mm. that I use. And so if I pull it up, like today, it has the readings and the scriptures for... Um, you know, mid-afternoon prayer. And if you're on, in the road or on the car, you could say like, here's mid-afternoon prayer. I can pray. I can play it. If I'm in the car. Let us now pray mid-afternoon prayer. Using mm. And so, oh, sorry. That was good. I hit the microphone. <laughs> so it's got, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's an app where it's a very traditional ancient um uh, there's readings, there's a That's hymn. Good. And so for me, what it does, I have the app set to where it will notify me. Mm. And if you have your uh, sounds on, which I rarely do, you can have it do like a church gong. Dong. <laughs> oh, nice. Like it's time for prayer. That's awesome. <laughs> but I'll use it, not maybe not necessarily at the time, but uh, like I'm now getting back into the gym, exercising, yeah. walking. Um, and that exercise is one of these five as well. I think that's another thing is that being out of shape physically affects your mental oh, absolutely. and psycholog psychological makeup. And I think it's so hard once you get out of that routine to get back in it a lot of the times. I and mean, I think that's where people really struggle. Like you said it earlier uh, with something else, but I find it with my, the weight loss up and down. And I said the same thing. And it was because I would get into these habits of healthy eating, exercise, and then once it breaks, I take a weekend off. Mm. Just can't get Turns back into it. Two, year, two years off. Two years off. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going on one. It's like people who. It's going on one year. It's like right now. it's like people who don't stop coming to church. They don't yeah. realize it's been two years since I've been to church. Wow. I mean, seriously, and I, 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 I remember. I mean, I think it just it's. You just don't think about it. Yeah. You don't realize how much time has passed. It's like when it's like when you meet a friend and you go, "Hey, we'll hook up. Let's call each other." It's like six yeah. months and you run into him again. It's like. Oh man, I didn't call you. That yeah. wasn't that long ago, was it? No, it was six months ago. Mm. All right, <laughs> let's hang out. <laughs> yeah, he he healthy diet. 
Um, I think that goes back to the, you know, food is a, a self-medication, but it also is self-care. Yeah. I was talking with uh, my friend Jerry Weber a little while ago, and he and his wife have lost a lot of weight. They quit drinking, they quit eating sugar and overly refined foods and went on this thing for like two months or something. Wow. And they both lost like 40 pounds. Nice. Feel better, everything else. Wow. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said. I've, I have people all the time tell me, you you need to be gluten-free, you need to be dairy-free, you need to do this, you need to do this. Some of them are like proselyte. I mean, they're like proselytizing <laughs> you, which means they're like converting you because you you have to be here. Keto, and I get keto, it. Keto, they, keto. They, they really are. I mean, and I get they believe it and it's worked for them. But, you know, it's. It, I think for everybody it's different. Mm. You know, there's it not is. one, only one plan that works for anybody. And you gotta start with little incremental steps Absolutely. that you can accomplish. I think that's probably for all of these, right? What about yeah. you? I think it's like, it's definitely not a daily thing. So I could probably like be better about that. But one, one of them is hearing you or whoever's preaching on Sundays, right? And I try to see how those messages can kind of relate to me throughout the week. And I'll take those types of things and spend time in nature with them, right? So I'll go to a park. I, I live halfway between here and Galveston, so I might drive to Galveston, walk the beach, and just like have those things resonate with me, have those lessons just sink in in a deeper way. I find that to be a lot easier. Like you say, you go on a walk. I find it to be a lot easier for things to soak in when I'm in nature. So it, sit outside underneath the stars, go for a walk, hang out at the park, be on the beach. Those are the places I go to have... Um, Spirit speak to me in an intentional way. Yeah. I think it's intentionality to, you know, um, Nick Saban, the coach of the University of Alabama, his, his whole thing, if you study his leadership style, his coaching style is all about process. He talks about process, the process, the process, the mm. process. He just preaches the process. Well, what does he mean by that? He's like, well, whatever your goal is, right, you have to commit. The process is, let's say your goal is, you know, I want to win national championship. Well, he doesn't say quite like that. What he'll say is, "We're going to be, um, we're going to be great, or we're going to be the best we can be, or whatever." He puts something out there. He's like, "So, what do I have to do today to get to that goal? Mm -hmm. What I do tomorrow? Every day, you have to do something mm. that's that's making progress towards those goals that you set. That's the process. You can't take a day off. So, I think part of it is." When I was young growing up, the things we would set were so unrealistic and we always failed. Hmm. I had to spend an hour in my quiet time yeah. or I had to do this reading or I had to do this or I had to whatever. And as soon as you fail, you quit. Mm -hmm. And then you just don't get back to it. Yeah, I love that. I think it's also paired. The process is incredibly important. I think what's what people who have the determination to follow the process sometimes lack is the realistic goals, right? And so like whenever I was teaching, right, I always have my students set realistic goals. Are you gonna write a best-selling book? I don't know, but is that a realistic goal? Probably not right now. So let's just focus on writing a first draft, right? And then we can focus on the process to get there. Mm -hmm. You have the first draft written, great. Now write a second draft right and um that's uh that th those goals i think are just yeah been super I, helpful for me i've always heard of goal setting you want to be ambitious it's got to be something that stretches you yeah but it has to be achievable something that you say i can do this yeah i can get there so if i say i'm going to be a starting quarterback 
for the in the NFL. Yeah, let's go, John. Let's go. I believe in that. You. That's very ambitious, <laughs> but it's not achievable. Right? Never maybe, was. Maybe for the Jets. Dude, way <laughs> to way to throw that in there. A couple of these others, and then we'll done. Uh, we'll be done. But I mean. Uh, Proper sleep. I found this to be very important, um, and I think everybody's different. But man, you've got to guard sleep. Yeah. That's the other thing I found during the pandemic. I'd stay up way, 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 way too late, binge watching shows, and then start sleeping later, later, later. And it's just not healthy. How do you go to sleep now? What's your process? So I, how do I go to sleep? Well, I put my pajamas on, <laughs> crawl in the bed. I say my prayers and close my eyes. Don't forget your your. I do wear yeah and in earplugs. Right. <laughs> no, I need so, to I mean, adopt that because it looks super comfy. Oh, it's good and it blocks the lights. Huge. Now some people like it because it wakes them up in the morning. But when the time changes like this, the, the sun's coming up an hour earlier, so it's not good. Yeah. But I think you just have to have your own regular routine. Yeah. A lot of these studies are things that I've seen, which I don't really follow. I don't follow these scripts, but people have said you know, go to bed the same time every night, wake up the same time every morning, even if you don't have to, if it's a Saturday, mm. to have that routine. Right. That's never worked for me. I'm more of a late night. I'll stay up to, you know, 11 midnight. And then when I need to get up early on certain days, I have to get up early, I do. Right. But if there's certain days I don't have to get up early, I just get up when I get up. Yeah. Whatever that is, which as you get older is earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I love this intentional white space in your calendar. I don't know if that's been a big problem for people during the pandemic, but I do know that you have to carve out mm. space in your mm. life. Healthy friendships. Mm -hmm. This is important. I love how he qualifies it as healthy friendships. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can have toxic friendships that just drain life from you. Um, so you've got to have life-giving relationships that make a difference in your life. You gotta have hobbies, you gotta have family time, and then one of the ones we were talking about today is coaching and counseling. Not being afraid to have some help. Um, yeah. I like the idea of, you know, like for me also, I have not only a therapist, but I have a spiritual director. Mm -hmm. So someone that I can call and talk to and say, hey, you know, help me think some of some creative ways that I can grow in my spirituality. Because I'm as I'm getting older, I think it's I'm more in tune with what, where I think younger people non-religious people are because it's it's almost like they're these traditional read the bible pray do this do this go to a bible study go to church whereas it's like i'm really interested now in figuring out what are the non-traditional spirit what, what is a spiritual practice that's not a non-traditional spiritual practice yes. but that that opens me up to god's <clears throat> reality in my life Absolutely. Anything that opens the door to making God more real for you or closer to you is a spiritual practice. I 100% agree with that. And like, I don't know, it seems really hippy dippy that I go to the beach, take my shoes off and that's where I find God, you know, but like it, it just is. That's just my reality. You know, I, I'm much rather that. Then to Dude, we don't even have time to get into the theological <laughs> nuances of that, right? <laughs> so, no, serious heart attack. So think about this. You know why I? Th you know why I think that's so. First off, you just like it. Yeah. But think about this. You and I are created from the earth, mm. right? In the beginning, God creates from the earth. If you look at the word Adam, it literally it literally means the earth, mm. an earthling, one who is of the earth. And so then in the funeral liturgy, in the committal liturgy. When we bury people, we say, 
you know, ashes to ashes, earth to earth, dust to dust. Mm. It's from whence we return, yes. you know. So, man, I mean, to it's it's always funny when the people come back from outer space and they bend over and they grab the dirt and they yeah. go, ah, <laughs> the dirt. It's like Kyle Tucker when he gets ready to hit a baseball oh, yeah. and he has to every time grab the dirt. Yeah. It's like something in the dirt, man, that's just... It's it's essence of us, mm-hmm. so that that actually is not surprising to me at all. But it's why I think all humans like to go to the beach and put their toes in the sand. Right. All right. Well, hey, good to be with you, Zach Blunt. Thank you for being with us. Always Thanks good to have me. you. Thanks for your poem and Jeff. Appreciate you always. I'm John Stevens. I'm Zach Blunt, and I'm Jeff Wood, <laughs> and this is Pod Have Mercy. <laughs>